Alrighty there folks, and welcome to the Conacher Podcast channel. This is episode 32, Birth of the Three Kingdoms, part 2. In today's episode, there are a few characters that we will be focusing on. But before I get into that, I just want to say thank you very much to everyone for uh, leaving reviews on Apple Podcasts. I have seen a couple since last week's episode, so thank you very much. And um, yeah, for those of you who haven't done it yet, please do. I'd really appreciate it. <laughs> uh, just because it helps the channel grow, just because of algorithms and things like that, and it helps the podcast get more noticed. So yes, thank you very much, everyone. But anyway, like I said, the characters we'll be focusing on today are the Emperor of the Han Dynasty, Liu Xie, or Empress Siam, Dong Zhuo, Liu Bu, Li Jue, and Guo Su. There are other characters as well, but these are going to be the main characters that you will be hearing. These are the names that you're going to hear the most. This episode is going to be focusing on the years 189 to 196 AD, so roughly a seven-year period. The main topics will be what Dong Zhuo did when he took the child emperor into custody in 189, which I forewarn you now is terribly gruesome, and then of course what other warlords thought of Dong Zhuo's behaviour and their reaction, and finally what happened after Dong Zhuo's death. So in 189, Dong Zhuo had just taken the emperor back to Luoyang, and everything was a mess. So it wasn't exactly difficult for him to seize power within the capital. Dong Zhuo had a pretty good reputation at this stage in history, to be fair to him. Coming from Longxi Commandery, modern-day Gansu province, by all accounts he was rather a chivalrous youth. He fought in the north, he fought the yellow turbans, albeit unsuccessfully, and he did his duty rather well. By all accounts, he was a skilled horse archer as well. He also, by all accounts, found a blade of huge importance whilst he was farming one day, which had an obscure inscription fading from it which said, Slash the kings like Logan. Not knowing the meaning, Dong Zhuo kept the sword, and it was only when he started becoming more popular, he took the sword to a minister named Taiyong for examination. After looking at the sword, Taiyong told Dong Zhuo that this sword belonged to none other than the famous king of Chu, Xiang Yu. I've touched on him before in episode 21, so if you don't know who Xiang Yu is, go back to episode 21 and refresh your memory. Xiang Yu was the undefeatable warrior king who almost created his own dynasty, but Liu Bang got the better of him and established the Han Dynasty. This was over 400 years ago from Dong Zhuo's time. What is weird though is that when I asked my wife to try and translate the inscription on the sword, she did her own research and all of the Chinese sources say that Dong Zhuo did find the sword when he was farming before he became famous, but there was no inscriptions on it. Furthermore, it seems Taiyong said this only to please Dong Zhuo, because I mean, if you said something that Big Dong didn't like, it was a good way to meet a very unpleasant end to your life, which I will get to shortly. To be honest, I have to agree with the Chinese sources here. The likelihood of Dong Zhuo finding the sword of Xiang Yu, the very sword that he used to slit his own throat, seems very unlikely, 
considering that this was over 400 years before the time of Dong Zhuo. But, in saying that, the reward for killing Xiang Yu was a lot of land and a nice title to go with it. So when Xiang Yu committed suicide, he was cut into at least five pieces afterwards, from soldiers all wanting a piece of that lovely reward, and his sword was never found. So, could Dong Zhuo have really found the sword? Who knows? But I thought I'd better let you guys know the current historical debate. But, back to the story at hand. Dong Zhuo didn't seem like he was the bad guy, all things considered. But that good reputation was soon about to go right out the window as people had to witness the horrible displays that Dong Zhuo had in store for his rivals. Now, knowing that people were looking for an opportunity to remove him when he reached Luoyang, Dong Zhuo had to display a falsehood of power. In other words, he had to look like he had more men under his command than he actually did. So what he did was tell his generals to leave the southern gate of Luoyang at night circle back around the city and then re-enter from the northern gate in the morning. That way, his power would be somewhat exaggerated to make people think twice about opposing him. As soon as he captured the Emperor Liu Bian and his younger brother Liu Xie, Dong Zhuo wanted to get rid of Liu Bian and instead Liu Xie. But the problem he faced was that this was just straight up usurpation and it wouldn't gain him any support from any other warlords who were nearby the city. But hey, why not go for it? I mean, it's not as if Dong Zhuo had much to lose anyway, and who would dare to oppose him? Well, it turns out that one man did have the gall to actually oppose Dong Zhuo's suggestion. This was Din Yuan, a warlord that was close by Dong Zhuo, and he didn't like what he was seeing. Din Yuan was pretty confident as he had his adopted son, Lu Bu, by his side. Lu Bu was, without a doubt, probably the most fearsome warrior in China within this time period. He was well worth 10,000 regular soldiers, if you want to believe the sources, that is. So now, Dong Zhuo was in a bit of a pickle. How could he enthrone the emperor of his choice without feeling the wrath of Ding Yuan, and more importantly, Lu Bu? Just when it seemed like a conflict was inevitable, one of Dong Zhuo's subordinates came up with a pretty genius scheme that would not only get rid of Ding Yuan, but get Lu Bu on Dong Zhuo's side. Lu Bu was a rather shallow man and wanted nothing more than glory and riches. But of course, only the best of the best riches. Money and gold wouldn't be able to persuade Lu Bu to defect to Dong Zhuo's side. But a horse could. Not just any horse, but a horse that had red speckles all over its body. A horse that was so fast that no other horse could catch it. A horse that was the perfect steed for a knight such as Lu Bu. This horse was called Red Hair. Now, there is a saying in China that goes a little like this. Among men, there is Lu Bu. Among horses, there is Red Hair. And what this means is that basically... Lu Bu and Red Hair were the perfect match because Lu Bu was the best soldier of the time, or the best general, the best commander, the best warrior, and Red Hair was the best horse. So that's the comparison there. Now, this was no small feat. From what I read, this was Dong Zhuo's personal horse. But I mean, a horse for a Lu Bu, it's a no brainer, right? 
Plus, if Dong Zhou's ambitions were to come true, he wouldn't need a horse for much longer. <laughs> but we'll get to that later. So, one night, when Lu Bu was getting ready to settle in for the night, an old friend came to visit him. Then he laid out Dong Zhou's proposal. Now, Ding Yuan was the adoptive father of Lu Bu, so you'd think that, that you'd, you know, do him a favour. But actually, it was the opposite. Lu Bu didn't even hesitate. On the same night, he walked over to Ding Yuan's tent, cut off his head, and then presented it to Dong Zhuo in the morning. Impressed with Lu Bu's decisive action, Dong Zhuo then adopted him as his son. I have no idea why Dong Zhuo thought this was a good idea. I mean, the dude literally just gave you the head of his previous adoptive father. Do you want the same fate? But nevertheless, that's what's happened. With Lu Bu now on his side, Dong Zhuo could basically do whatever he wanted. And then he immediately dethroned Liu Bian as emperor and put Liu Xie in his place. The new emperor then appointed Dong Zhuo as the chancellor of state. Dong Zhuo's first act as chancellor was to remove that little emperor that he just gotten rid of. Apparently, when it came down to the nitty gritty, Liu Bian and his mother, Empress Dowager Hua, both knew what was coming. Dong Zhuo presented them with wine and told them to drink. When they asked him to drink the wine with them, he basically said no because it's poison. Probably enjoying the look of hopelessness on their faces when they knew there was no way out, the two of them drank the poison, sobbing as they did, and then they died. With that little complication out of the way, Dong Zhuo then started firing ministers within the imperial court and replacing them with his own family members. For example, his younger brother Dong Ming was appointed general of the left. Lu Bu was also appointed as Dong Zhuo's personal bodyguard as well. To add insult to injury to those ministers who were still allowed to keep their jobs, Dong Zhuo then appointed himself special privileges within not just the imperial court, but the imperial household as well. For example, Dong Zhuo could walk into the court with his sword, a privilege nobody had had apart from Xiao He, who was the best friend and most trusted advisor of Liu Bang, or Emperor Gaozu, when the Han Dynasty was first established. This was a show of admiration and respect for Xiao He in the eyes of Emperor Gaozu, but in the case of Dong Zhuo, it was a show of force and fear. Dong Zhuo would just swagger into court like he owned the place, breaking the rule of kowtowing and slowly shuffling when in the presence of the emperor. And he didn't even take off his shoes. Why dirty the imperial court like that? If you think that was a bad and rude display, then just wait. Dong Zhuo also slept within the imperial palace, the house of the emperor. Nobody had done that before. And to make things worse, he even slept in the emperor's bed. It's not to mention that Dong Zhuo really did enjoy the pleasures of the flesh too, and he would uh, rape or have sex with the majority of the palace maids during his time there. Things were looking pretty good for Dong Zhuo at this time though, and what did the other warlords think of him? That is the big question now. This is when we need to look into the coalition named the Guangdong Coalition that was conjured up to try and remove Dong Zhuo from power. 
18 warlords took part in this coalition, but the most noteworthy ones were Yuan Shao, who became the leader, Yuan Shu, the half-brother of Yuan Shao, Sun Jian, Cao Cao, Liu Bei, Gongsun Zhan, and Han Fu. Now, to be honest, I'm probably not even going to mention the last three when it comes to the coalition, but they are quite famous names that I thought should go in. <sighs> there were others, like I said, but there isn't much point in mentioning more names here because they weren't exactly involved and they're not really mentioned as much. But the obje objectives of the coalition were rather simple. March to Liuyang and remove Dong Zhuo from power. See, I told you it was simple, but the problem was nobody really did anything. The only worthwhile engagement we could really talk about was the Battle of Su Shui, or Hulal Pass, in 190 AD. The problem I've found with this is that I cannot decipher the real story from fantasy. But what does seem to be agreed upon when looking at the historical text is that the coalition forces were victorious thanks to the likes of Sun Jian and Tao Tao. Liu Bei, in Romance of the Three Kingdoms, does get a huge boost to his reputation in regards to this particular battle. By all accounts, Zhang Fei tried to fight Liu Bu at this battle alone, but he saw that he couldn't win. So Guan Yu joined the fight, and then Liu Bei. Only when the three brothers fought Liu Bu did he retreat. I will be frank here though, that is pretty much all fantasy. But in Romance of the Three Kingdoms, Guan Yu killed one of Dong Zhuo's top generals, a man named Hua Xiong, and by all accounts, that is true. But what about the battle itself? Was there any strategies or anything? Honestly, none that I can actually find. If anyone does know about what actually happened when the two sides faced each other off at this battle, then please do enlighten me, because I did have a look and I came up empty-handed, just because Everything that I looked up, it just seemed like it was too, too much like fantasy, almost. And then of course, like this, this is the problem when we look at this time period. Uh, the novel written by Luo Guangzhong really does overshadow the real history. So it's hard to get rid of all of the fantasy that happened in the novel and of course the real history. But I mean, this is what makes this period so awesome, in my opinion. But anyway, regardless, the two sides fought, the coalition forces won, and they begun their march towards Liuyang. In a panic, and with Liu Bu being unable to defend the pass, Dong Zhuo devised a plan to head on back to the original capital of the Han Dynasty, Chang'an. However, when setting off, Dong Zhuo made sure to completely pulverize Liuyang with such a brutality that even the devil himself would probably say, Dude, that was too far. The common people within the city were forced to leave or killed on the spot. The tombs of all the Eastern Han emperors were opened, looted, then burned to the ground. The entire city, including the Imperial Palace, was engulfed in flames. Some sources even say that Dong Zhuo purposely killed all of the men and gave the women to his soldiers as rewards for their service. The entire capital was nothing but ashes when the coalition forces arrived. 
And in order to get to Chang'an, they would need to battle through another pass. By the way, when I say pass, I mean a fortification built on a choke point. There was a reason why Chang'an and Luoyang were always favoured as capitals within Chinese dynasties. They were easily defendable because of the terrain surrounding them. However, after this initial success, the lords within the coalition showed their true colours and were trying to scheme against each other rather than actually try to win the war they were fighting. For example, I read one particular story where Sun Jian was needing reinforcements as he pushed on past Luoyang, and nobody showed him any support apart from Tao Tao. But alas, there was only so much these two smaller warlords could do up against the hundreds of thousands of Dong Zhou's forces. Soon after, Sun Jian, Tao Tao, and Liu Bei all left the coalition as it began to fall apart. This is also the same time when Sun Jian apparently found the Imperial Jade Seal within the ruins of Luoyang. But I will talk about that in a later episode, in a wee bit more depth. With the coalition too busy squabbling or disintegrating, Dong Zhou and company could now breathe easier and relax within their newly established capital, Chang'an. With the gold that was looted from the tombs of previous emperors, Dong Zhou immediately commissioned the building of a new palace. Not for the emperor, but for himself. This fortification or palace was called Mei Wu, and Dong Zhuo held banquets and feasts here for his officers as well as the ministers of the imperial court. But this is where Dong Zhuo's reputation really does come out as the cruel, psychotic maniac that he was. For example, because Yuan Shao was the leader of the coalition, Dong Zhuo ordered his men that all residents in Luoyang who were related to Yuan Shao to be butchered and their heads displayed along the walls of the city, so Yuan Shao could see them when he got there. Now, I mean, in a time of war, I could see where that's coming from, like, because, like, he's, like, they are, they could be spies for the enemy or something, but, I mean, it's extremely cruel. Like, a lot of the people were elderly members of Yuan Shao's family. You're just like, oh, that's harsh. And of course, like, leaving nothing for the enemy, like the scorched earth tactics, I mean, I get it, but come on, dude. You don't need to loot <laughs> imperial tombs, man. Anyway, another example would be what he did one time when he went on a hunting trip outside Chang'an. Don Zhuo didn't go to the woods to hunt, but a village. He then shouted out to the villagers. He said this, for all of you men who can outrun my men's arrows for five minutes will be spared. He then ordered his men to shoot, and what do you know? All the men outside couldn't last an arrow barrage for five minutes, so of course they all died. And what about the wives? Well, they were the prizes of war, according to Dong Zhuo, and his men were allowed to do as they pleased with the women. Probably the worst displays of Dong Zhuo's cruelty, however, is with two incidents. I will start with his weird obsession with displaying torture of prisoners of war as a form of entertainment. Dong Zhuo's torture experts would first cut their tongue so they wouldn't make much noise for the following operations, which were the severing of limbs and removal of eyeballs. The operations required professional skill because the victim had to remain conscious when at last, they were thrown into boiling oil. 
Now they were a literal meatball and they would be rolling around the centre of the banquet for all to observe. Dong Zhuo, by all accounts, was happy to see these gruesome displays. He often made women dance around this as if nothing was happening beside them, and he forced ministers of the imperial court to watch as well. Dong Zhuo seems to have enjoyed torture and making people uncomfortable in all honesty. And don't get me wrong, he was clearly sending a message to those who were thinking of being disloyal to him, but jeez. The next incident is actually even more twisted. So the story goes that one minister really hated Dong Zhuo, and I mean really hated him. But in order to get close to Dong Zhuo so he could maybe kill him, he pretended to be a yes man for Dong Zhuo's ears. Later, when Dong Zhuo looked vulnerable, the minister tried to kill the mad general. But, being paranoid, Dong Zhuo always wore a suit of armour. So the dagger just glided off him when the minister tried to stab him. Enraged by this betrayal, Dong Zhuo set up another banquet, and the food that the ministers of the court had to eat was this poor dude who was literally being barbecued in front of them. If anyone refused to eat the human flesh, they were warned that they would be accused of being collaborators and would endure the same fate. Suffice to say, everyone ate the meat, to the twisted delight of Dong Zhuo. Apparently, when the ministers were eating this meat, Dong Zhuo would walk up to them and ask them, how churma, which literally means, is the food good? He would then, of course, the ministers would then say, oh yeah, it's good, because if they said no, they would end up being killed. And then he would ask them, how does it taste? Is it sour? Is it bitter? You know, really twisting that knife into them just to make them all that more on edge. Now, of course, there is only so long that this can go on, and people were looking for a way to get rid of the Mad General. According to Romance of the Three Kingdoms, this is when the Minister of Interior, a man named Wang Lun, uses a double snare scheme to create a love triangle between his adopted daughter, Diao Chan, Lu Bu, and Dong Zhuo. The story goes that Wang Lun invited Lu Bu to his house and had Diao Chan serve them. Upon seeing her beauty, Lu Bu was dumbfounded and was intoxicated by her charm. It was at this time Wang Lun offered Diao Chan to Liu Bu as a concubine, to which Lu Bu happily accepted. All that was needed was an auspicious day for the event. Unbeknownst to Liu Bu, however, Wang Yun then invited Dong Zhuo over and did the same thing a few days later. Less patient than Liu Bu, Dong Zhuo took Diao Chan to his quarters that night and had his way with her. Liu Bu, heartbroken and egged on by Wang Lun, was then convinced that the only way to get Diao Chan back was to kill Dong Zhuo, to which he did. Now this, my friends, is totally fictional. Liu Guangzhong, when writing Romance of the Three Kingdoms, completely made up the story of the love triangle between Lu Bu, Dong Zhuo, and Diao Chan. But this story isn't too far away from the truth. By all accounts, Lu Bu was having an affair with one of Dong Zhuo's concubines, and through fear of being discovered, as well as other ministers like Wang Lun egging him on, Lu Bu did assassinate Dong Zhuo in the year 192. Apparently, when Dong Zhuo was attacked by some of his subordinates, he called out for Lu Bu to protect them because, you know, 
he's his adopted son, and he's his bodyguard. But racing on the horse, red hair, Lu Bu replied, I am just following imperial orders, then stabbed him. Upon his death, Dong Zhou's body was to remain where it was. Nobody was allowed to give him a burial, and it was encouraged for people to spit and defecate on the body. But yeah, someone did set fire to his body, and because he had gotten so fat from his few years of luxury, his body burned for three days, the fat keeping the flame going, so to speak. So that was that. The tyrant is dead. Time to celebrate and restore the Han. Except, yeah, that didn't happen. Stationed outside Chang'an was Dong Zhou's army, under the command of generals Li Jue, Guo Si, Zhang Ji, and Fan Chao. Fearing no way out, the generals asked for a pardon, as they were only following orders. But Wang Yun, the new chancellor, said, of all those who should be forgiven, they are the exceptions. Upon hearing this, the four generals plonked their heads together and sized up the situation. Their army was massive, and it was only Lu Bu's section of the army defending Chang'an. So, why not take the capital, kill Wang Lun, and take the emperor? What a splendid idea! And that's just what they did. Lu Bu was good, but he wasn't that good. The city soon fell, Wang Lun was dead, and Lu Bu had fled, and the emperor was in the custody of Li Jue and Guo Su. To cut a long story short here, a feud soon broke out between Li Jue and Guo Su, uh, basically because they wanted more power over the emperor. So the emperor was being pinballed between the two generals, with their bickering and scheming for the next four years. Finally, in the year 196, the emperor and a few of his trusted advisors managed to escape from Chang'an and were fleeing east towards Luoyang. Edicts were sent out to all of the lords close by to Luoyang, ordering them to heed the call to protect Emperor Xian from the Jue and Guo Su, who were pursuing the emperor in order to try and get him back. The most powerful and the closest and the most respected of these warlords was Yuan Shao. So everyone expected Yuan Shao to actually go and rescue the emperor. But unsure if it was a good idea or not, Yuan Shao hesitated. One man who did not hesitate was Tao Tao, a not so powerful warlord yet, but certainly an ambitious one. He rushed to <coughs> save the emperor, bring him to his capital, Shu Chang, which was in Yang County, for his <coughs> protection. And that there, folks, is where I will leave this episode. Next week, I will be taking a look into the rise of Tao Tao and the Battle of Guandu in as much detail as I can. So I hope to see you next time. And as always, thanks for listening. <laughs>